When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where this week we're going to be looking ahead to the new reality of life both in the markets and the wider business world following the EU referendum. I'm Robert Miller. That means examining what sort of investment landscape we may now be facing, and that includes the planned merger between the London Stock Exchange and Germany's Deutsche Börse. First, though, this is how the Bank of England Governor Mark Carney saw the world the morning after. The people of the United Kingdom have voted to leave the European Union. Inevitably, there'll be a period of uncertainty and adjustment following this result. But as the Prime Minister said just this morning, there'll be no initial change in the way our people can travel, in the way our goods can move, or the way our services can be sold. So some market and economic volatility can be expected as this process unfolds. I'm joined by Harry Wilson, City Editor of The Times, Catherine Griffiths, our Banking Editor, and on the line from Berlin, The Times correspondent David Charter. Welcome to you all. Well, a couple of days ago, The Times hosted its annual CEO summit with a great sense of timing, given the backdrop. It was attended by the London Mayor, Sadiq Khan, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, and a host of business leaders, including Dido Harding of Talk Talk and WPP, Sir Martin Sorrell. Here's our columnist Simon Nixon from the Wall Street Journal asking CBI leader Carolyn Fairburn how her members saw the situation. What are you hearing from the CBI's membership? And deep concern. Uh, a deep concern. I mean, what we have seen clearly is this a seismic uh, readjustment of the markets that hasn't run through yet. Let's get clarity. Let's get a grip. Let's get action, leadership and a plan. And that's what will help to minimise the contagion. So you've clearly seen a deterioration in terms of equity prices. Harry... You were at the CEO summit, as indeed was Catherine. But what's your sense going around the city to the conferences and the talks uh, that you've been busy with? What's your sense now looking forward that you can report how the city's feeling and how business is feeling? Uh, I think the feeling in the city echoes much of the rest of the country, which is uh, shell shock. Combined with that, now you have this uh, uncertainty. The, the, the fact is, since the uh, financial crisis, the entire city financial services industry has ha- had an enormous amount of uncertainty as new regulation has come in. And it now seems we're, we're bound to have another uh, decade, uh, potentially, of, uh, of, of that continuing. So the, the real sense out there is that uh, no one really knows what any of this means, all they can really do is just look around uh, at the uh, new landscape and just wonder what it means for them all. Was that your impression, Catherine? You talked to a lot of the delegates there. Certainly, but actually I think there are two quite interesting things that are emerging. One is that, whisper it quietly, banks might actually be fine, really, um, and it's, it's certainly un- uncertain, 
But if, as some people think, rules largely remain the same, which allow banks to, they, they call it passport, into the rest of Europe to do their business, then things will probably be okay. The other thing that I think is really fascinating is a sort of rather late-in-the-day acknowledgement among banks that they're being punished for the financial crisis. Harry and I were at an event this morning where Douglas Flint, the chairman of HSBC, and some others were talking about globalisation and the the haves and the have-nots and the inequality among people. A view was expressed that perhaps bankers' views now are not particularly welcome on how to deal with the, the fallout from Brexit and that perhaps actually now things like pay have to really be dealt with that that have sort of been brushed under the carpet. Um, it's almost unbelievable to say this, but for a decade really since the crisis, uh, people have refused to really kind of grasp that. And I think it's possible that in the wake of this incredible shocking vote, perhaps the business world will sort of finally realise that they've really got to do something about that, the sort of extraordinarily large differential between the pay of the business leaders. This isn't just financial services, it's wider than that, and the workers. But why? what strikes me is we've had this for 10 years. We've known that people, or we have felt as a country, beyond the square mile, that people are being paid disproportionately uh, to the rest of the country, and it's never stopped them then. So are we going to say that a possible exit from the European Union is going to change that? I think it's possible. I think that there's a view now in the business world that people who voted leave, a lot of that was anger about them being forgotten, them being unfairly treated, there being this this sort of notion of elites. And I think it's possible it could channel itself into a sort of proper a proper kind of internalisation in the business world that perhaps if you run a business, you can't be paid whatever multiples um, that the, the, the employers are paid. I mean, I don't think it's entirely likely, but it's possible. Of course, the, the, the irony is that by leaving the European Union, the city actually puts itself outside the European Union's bonus cap rules. We, we, although I, I, I certainly, we, we heard all these words again, it, it was quite extraordinary to hear the chief executive Deloitte's basically saying that him and the rest of his audience were paid far too much money. But uh, obviously the the point is that if the city does end up outside the European Union, then it's um, more than likely that one of the competitive advantages we might have is to be outside the bonus cap rules, and that basically means it's back to the good old days of paying your, your staff whatever you want. David, let me bring you in here from Berlin. I mean, first of all, on the Friday morning afterwards, what was the, the initial reaction that you found on the streets in Berlin? I think the world of German politics and business was in denial for 24 hours, and and some of them still are. Uh, That may be a feeling in London, I don't know as well, but um, they can't quite believe it's happening. And Merkel has been telling them, uh, we've all got to readjust because this really is what's happening. Uh, She's the great uh, realist, of course. I mean, she would love nothing more than for Britain to change its mind. But in the meantime, she will lead uh, German business, industry and politics um, in trying to make the best of Brexit. And um, she's been billed lately uh, in recent days as uh, some kind of conciliator that will perhaps help Britain's case. But she will, of course, put Germany's interests first and Europe's interests second and Britain's interests Uh, third. That means last of those three, in case anyone is in any doubt. So 
we will see Germany and France coming together as they know they have to, even though there's no personal warmth between uh, Merkel and Hollande and different political families and never particularly got on. They both feel, uh, for their own reasons, a strong sense that Europe's going to stick together uh, and make it not unnecessarily difficult for Britain, but they will ensure that things change. And this idea, I have to say, Catherine, that uh, the passport will still apply to British banks is, is pie in the sky. Uh, it's, it will only apply if Britain applies to join the European economic area like Norway, in which case many people who voted for leave will wonder what they voted for in the first place, I should think. Certainly sitting here in London, there's a sort of army of incredibly um, expert lawyers who, who really know their stuff when it comes to the kind of intricacies of EU law that point to specific details, particularly of the incoming MIFID II rules, which suggests that passporting will apply. Um, and, of, and of course, it's all about this notion equivalence. Will we have the same rules as, as are in Europe? And if, if we do have equivalent rules, then the argument goes it will be incredibly difficult for the Europeans to deny UK the passporting rules but I mean I think as you're as you're saying of course there's there's sort of technical legal rules on a page and then there's this sort of deep anger um, in the rest of Europe with what the UK has done and I and I think and correct me if I'm wrong but I, I think the sort of the feeling here is that of course when it comes to Europe's approach to the law it's not really necessarily to do with the the written word it's to do with the kind of the meaning and and obviously the meaning in this context is actually the UK has has decided to opt out so as you as you say the hurdle might be very high I mean I think we're about to find out whether Europe really has a rival financial centre to, to London. The the point is made uh, many times to privately, publicly, that actually, if you look at it, what what realistically are your chances of being able to move significant numbers of jobs to Paris or Frankfurt or uh, Luxembourg or indeed any of the other uh, financial centres named out there? You know, quite simply, do you have the, the, the buildings there that you could move uh, a large number of people into? Are there the schools? What are the communication links like? Do you have the pool of, uh, of, of people there that you need it? Do you have enough English speakers? Do you have the uh, legal ecosystem, the accountants? And, and time and again, you go through this process and it all comes back to and you say, well, actually, quite frankly, there is no other place you could really do business apart from London. That said, there is clearly a, going to be some kind of land grab here by other financial centres. But, you know, if, if, if the best that they can do, and it, it seems to be at the moment, the only thing that we've heard of anything concrete is uh, clearing of euro-denominated transactions, potentially moving to Paris. If the best that basically they think they can get is back office processing from London, it doesn't seem that uh, the, the city, at least at the moment, faces too many problems. David, thinking about it, how you see, you talked about Germany and the relationship with France, but aren't there a number of other quite you know, important nations, Italy, Spain, Portugal, they're fairly annoyed at the status quo and the dominance of Germany, so could they perhaps be almost our friends in court, or do you think they'll equally be hostile? If we're discussing financial services i think they will be um just as just as hostile if not more so than germany or france i mean don't forget anglo-saxon capitalism uh, casino capitalism was blamed for the exacerbating the euro and prolonging the euro crisis you know we've seen a number of efforts at uh, at the eu level 
to try and restrict various types of activity, of city activity, which uh, at the moment um, Britain has been able to pretty much uh, rebuff because it's a member of the European Union. It can go to the European Court of Justice if it likes and claim. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Discrimination. That won't be possible uh, once uh, Britain leaves, unless, as I say, we, we keep a Norway-style relationship. Norway's financial services does have um, uh, an entry into the, uh, the single market because it takes all of the single market rules. It just doesn't get to, um, to vote on them or to sort of have a meaningful input uh, into them. That's the only way, I think, that the absolute equivalence uh, will continue. It, it, it is, of course, it was a, a, a campaigning point talked about by Andrea Lebson in the campaign that Mifid II was broadly similar to a passport, but it wasn't actually a passport. So there will be penalties, but are they going to be tough enough penalties to cause an, an exodus from a city as opposed to a few people have to go and set up subsidiaries somewhere within the European Union. All right, thanks for that, David. Just sit tight there. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll discuss the catchily named Article 50 and look at the Deutsche Börse proposed merger with the London Stock Exchange and indeed whether it might go ahead. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. 2016 has been branded the year of the SME. This is your year. Time for your business to stand out. Are you ready? Vodafone's Ready Business Britain, in association with The Times and Sunday Times, has all the advice, insight and analysis your business needs to make this your year. Get ready. Visit readybusinessbritain.co.uk. Now, talking about our Times CEO summit, here's a clip from the panel discussion with Gerard Lyons, who used to be, of course, a Boris Johnson's uh, economic advisor when he was uh, mayor of London, and Sir Martin Sorrell of WPP legend. When we come to Article 50, we need to decide what we want in terms of the renegotiation, who's going to renegotiate, and then we need to invoke Article 50. K- KBO, keep buggering on. <laughs> so, uh, and the, re- the reason is this. You have uncertainty in the UK about what's going to happen with the Union. You have uncertainty in Europe. You have the p- possible general election in October. Who's going to be the new leader of the Conservative Party going to be? And access to the single market exists for America, for China, for other countries or outside. So even though businesses have made clear they want to be in the single market, it's not 
necessary to still have access to it. David, in Berlin, let me ask you, we talked about the exiting and negotiations just now, but Article 50, over there, does anyone understand it? Well, let's be clear that Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty is the only way you can begin the formal exit negotiations and uh, carry them out, and it can only be triggered by the country that wants to leave. So it it is in Britain's um, uh, sole power to do that. In Berlin, they argued initially for a pause, uh, for reflection, for Britain to um, actually collect itself and and state what kind of relationship it wants with the European Union. And I think even initially there could have been, as I say, I said at the start, a sense of denial uh, in, in Berlin that perhaps it, it might not happen. However, a growing realism has taken hold and now the Germans would like to see this happen sooner rather than later. And the reason is that France is really under, under, the government in France is under threat from the sort of populist insurgency of Marine Le Pen. And France needs uh, to show that it's got, that the European Union um, is a club with, uh, that's, that's hanging together, that's got real benefits, and that it can find a way through this crisis that is meaning, meaningful to ordinary voters. And France wants to, wants to get on with the British exit negotiations and wants them to be seen to be tough because of the general election and the presidential election in France next spring. And without, with France falling into the hands of the Front National, uh, who will call a, a, an EU referendum if they get the chance, uh, and, and possibly leave. Uh, there was a, the opinion polls show that the French would, could very well vote to leave the European Union. That would be the end. That would be the end of the project. And that would, that's a cataclysm that Germany uh, wants to avoid at all costs. I think the problem that Britain has got on Article 50 is that clearly people do not want to, to trigger it um, until they absolutely have to. And, and certainly the, the talk here now is of hoping perhaps that it never has to be triggered, not necessarily that you know we can just erase the vote from last week, but that we could sort of transition relatively smoothly from now, a member of the EU, to the future, but with all the sort of agreements in place. So there isn't any kind of risk of a shock. Certainly when you talk to business, they want to kind of get the the plan fully negotiated before Article 50 is triggered. And the main reason is because two years, which Article 50 will give the UK, seems like a long time. But of course, for for large businesses, and I'm thinking particularly of the banks, that isn't nearly long enough if, in fact, they do have to start moving their operations to do all the things they would need to do to achieve that within the two years. And, of course, they are just incredibly panicked, as you say, David, about the upcoming election in France and other things. So they don't want this negotiation to take place against that backdrop. They want all of that all of that activity, all of those elections to happen before it's triggered. But as you say, um, there's clear opposition to that in, in the rest of Europe. I, I've been speaking around a bit to, to people on this and uh, some banks speaking privately to Treasury is that the legal view there is that actually Article 50 and the triggering of it only comes at the culmination of a, uh, a, a negotiation. What essentially you're talking about here, at, at least it's... Uh, this is more sort of, I suppose, hopeful side, is that you have several years now potentially of negotiations where you actually work out what it is both sides are prepared to to give and what what they're prepared to take. 
And at the end of that, you then have the invocation of Article 50, which then leads you to a two-year implementation period of everything you've already negotiated. But that's, that certainly seems to be the hope of, of some of the, um, the businesses out there. Whether this is actually practical, whether this is what we get, I mean, obviously, this is all really going to come down to who gets elected the next uh, leader of the uh, Conservative Party and therefore becomes Prime Minister and what, what they want to do. But... Um, it would seem unlikely that anyone who gets elected as their first act would be to press uh, the, the button on Article 50. So I, I, to, as far as I can see, we, we might have several years before this thing actually gets uh, gets triggered, if indeed it ever does. Because it's all downside risk for the UK once it's triggered, because as that clock ticks down the two years, on at the end of that, you know, Britain leaves the EU and unless it has agreements in place, it's... It's it's in a sort of frightening place. So this is obviously why the UK doesn't want to, to trigger it. But it has to work out whether the goodwill it uses up in not triggering it is counterproductive to its you know ultimate um, settlement it reaches. Harry, just looking ahead slightly, we've got the proposed, we mentioned, merger between London Stock Exchange and Deutsche Börse. In your view, is it more or less likely to happen in view of the referendum vote, or won't it make a scrap of difference? Before um, before the referendum, and indeed when the deal was announced, they said that the deal was uh, going to be neutral on whether or not the UK voted in or out. I imagine when they said that, they didn't think the vote UK was going to vote out, and it has. Everything they've said since then is that this has no impact on it. If you talk, though, to, to other people in the uh, exchanges world, the view very much is that this deal is hanging the balance 50-50 at best, with actually, uh, I'd say, probably the weight of opinion coming down now that it, it probably isn't going to happen. The the general view in M&A is time ki- kills deals, and... Uh, with this enormous amount of uncertainty hanging over things, it seems very unlikely that uh, this this deal is going to happen any quicker than it was going to do beforehand. If if indeed, well, if it, if it happens, I wouldn't like to be a betting man on this one. David, uh, we've heard from Baffin, the financial regulator in Germany, and I know it carries no legal weight, but clearly that uh, watchdog said they wouldn't be happy for it to proceed. Is that the sense you get now that in view of the outcome of the referendum that Germany might be less willing now to back? Because they are, after all, major financial totems, aren't they? Yes, I can't work out exactly whether the the, um, the drawbacks that are sort of being pointed to by the Germans are actually being used as leverage, you know, to steer the deal the way they want it. Um, the question of where it's going to be headquartered for example, and the exact size of of how what of the business that's left in London. At the moment, uh, I agree with Harry that uh, it's more it's looking like it's going to be put on hold because of the uncertainty more than anything else. Because we 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 don't know how much uh, reg, you know, business uh, how the city will be regulated. We we don't we don't know what whether it, it won't be under the same. Uh, regulations, obviously, as as the Deutsche Börse, um, but what regulations will it be under? So it's it is it's primarily the uncertainty, but it, there may be a bit of game playing here from the German side in in trying to 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 shift the parameters of the deal. It's it's a deal that's been tried several times in the past, as you know, 
And it looks to me like it will be put on hold probably indefinitely. OK, well, thank you very much for that, David. And that's just about it for now. But remember, you can read about all those developments we've been talking about in the breaking news, along with our expert analysis online or in the paper, of course, as and when they happen. And you can watch our videos as a collection of them from the CEO Summit. They're on our website. And if you're a Times subscriber, take the opportunity to sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime emails if you haven't done so already. And if you don't have a subscription, we have a special £1 offer at thetimes.co.uk. And if you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. My profound thanks to Catherine Griffiths, Harry Wilson and, of course, David Charter in Berlin. They are all on Twitter, as am I, so please do follow us. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>